Good morning again. So, in the weeks and months leading up to this series, I've been introduced to all kinds of new voices, and at least new to me, and, and one of those is a man named Esau McCauley. Esau is a brilliant man. He's an author, he's a minister, and he's an assistant professor of New Testament. Well, one time he was out on this business-related trip, and he was wearing a very traditional outfit for pastors and, and priests. It, it's the, the black shirt with the white clerical collar. Maybe you've seen that. So he's out there, he's wearing this on this trip, and this guy comes up to him and says, Hey, thinking he's a Catholic priest, Hey, Father, will you bless me? Now, instead of taking all the time it would take to explain that he's not a Catholic priest and all this thing, he just said, of course, I'll bless you. So now later on that same trip, another guy comes up to him and mistakes him for being a Catholic priest again, only this time, this time, the guy says, hey, aren't you one of those people from that church that abuses kids? It just wrecked Macaulay. And he wanted to be crystal clear in that moment to say, no, not only am I not associated with anything resembling abusing kids, that is not what Christianity is about. That is not what Jesus is about. He wanted to be so clear to distance himself from that accusation. And how many of you, if you were in his spot, would want to be crystal clear in that moment too? How many of you would want to do everything you could to distance yourself from something as horrific as child abuse? All right, you ready? Let's apply that same principle to race. In a nation that is so divided over race, in a nation where racism is still very much alive, in a nation where racial discrimination and disparities exist, and they're real, we want to be crystal clear that Emmanuel is a church that believes every skin tone is beautiful and no ethnicity is superior. And every person, we believe every person, bears the image of God. Wherever you are right now, can I get an amen? Okay. So now what does that look like lived out, especially in a nation where people are using such different definitions of racism and justice at a time when so many people have so many different perspectives as to why racial disparities exist and what we should do about them? How do we live this out and, and be crystal clear in an age where there are two entrenched positions and they're at war with one another? And they want you to declare right now, in this moment, without qualification, which narrative do you support when there are these nuances that are so important to the conversation? How do we, how do we, without hesitation, how do we, without a long list of disclaimers, how do we make it clear? that we are 100% committed to the ministry of reconciliation that we've been given. I said we'd press deeper every week. Here we go. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. What does righteousness look like when it comes to race? That is such a challenging question, a lot more challenging than it may look like on the surface. So what we're going to do is we're going to work our way there. And let's begin by reminding ourselves of where we've been. 
We can't have a serious conversation about racial righteousness without engaging in something that the Bible calls lament. Here's a quote from Esau, the man I spoke about earlier. He says this, this is so good and so important. The church's witness does not involve simply denouncing the excess, excess of both sides and making moral equivalencies. It involves calling injustice by its name. Why well, isn't that good? And let's do that right now. We lament that there was a time in our nation's history where it was legal to buy and sell people, where you could murder, where you could rape without consequence. We lament that when slavery, as it once was known, was declared illegal, new laws were put in place to separate and subjugate and incarcerate and enslave in new forms. We lament that there are ledgers that you can still see today, ledgers where the names of black men and women were listed as assets alongside livestock and equipment. We lament that there are photos of lynchings with huge smiling crowds that, that looks like it's, they're there for some kind of carnival or, or some sort of county fair. We lament that behind every single statistic, there's a story, there's a person. One of these people is a woman named Mary Turner. When Mary's husband was murdered by a mob in 1918, Mary, who was 18 months pregnant, remember that, 18 or eight months, eight months pregnant, she said, boy, if, if I can ever find out who killed my husband, I want to seek a warrant for their arrest. Well, as soon as the mob that killed her husband heard about that, another mob was formed. And this time, they turned their hate on her. Mary, again, she was eight months pregnant. She was hung upside down by her ankles. Gasoline was poured over her body. She was burned alive. And they cut open her abdomen, and the baby falls to the ground. And as the baby's crying, a man took his foot and crushed the baby's head. In a final act of depravity, they then turned their guns on this lifeless body and riddled it with bullets. We lament. And we lament that Asians, Latinos, Native Americans, people of almost every skin tone have a long, long history of atrocities that were committed against them based on the color of their skin. And they are often left out of this conversation. It's important that we feel the weight of words like these from John Perkins. He said, we lived in a constant state of vulnerability. And he was writing this about his experience in the South in the 30s, 40s, and even the 70s. He says, we lived in a constant state of vulnerability and a never-ending undercurrent of fear. Danger lurked around every corner, and so did opposition and discouragement. We expected every door we approached would not only be closed, but locked. My brothers and sisters, this is not right. As these horrors played out, we lament that far too many people who identified as Christian who they, they sat on the sidelines 
and worse. We lament that many of them were slave owners. We lament that there are denominations that were formed on a pro-slavery platform. We lament that slaves were taught lies like this. This is from an actual, quote, Christian catechism that was used by slave masters to teach slaves about God. So the master would say, who gave you a master and mistress? And the slave would have to reply, God gave them to me. Who says you must obey them? The master would say, the slave would say, God says I must. Then they would ask, what book tells you these things? And the slaves would say, the Bible. We lament long after the Civil War. There were courtrooms where two different Bibles were used to swear people in. One for whites, one for persons of color. We lament there were churches that hired armed guards to keep black people out during segregation. We lament that there was such a wide gap between Christ and the people who identify as Christian. Frederick Douglass put it like this. He says, I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial, and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Now, some would say, maybe you're feeling defensive here too. Some would say, hey, that was then, this is now. We've come so far. Yeah, we have come so far. We're going to press into that next week. But just because we've come so far doesn't mean we are anywhere close to righteous in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, by what we have done or by what we have left undone. That pastor that I referenced in week one of this series, the woman who had a very different experience driving to camp than I did, she says this, to be black in America is to be constantly grieving. It should grieve us too. Now, does she speak for all persons of color? No. But are there many who would agree with her? Yeah. And we lament. We lament that so many of us in the majority, we haven't stopped to consider what it would be like to grow up in a country where one of the largest sculptures in the world is a tribute to people who fought for slavery. And this huge sculpture is on this huge mountain, where I just learned during the course of the series, in Stone Mountain, Georgia, that's a site where there was an annual Labor Day cross-burning right there on that site for 50 years. We lament that when a person of color has the courage to, to speak up in a church, often they're not met with empathy. They're not met with solidarity. Often their experience is more like this. When I stepped into that church, I couldn't talk about race or my fears because the driving narrative was anytime I or someone else talked about race, we were being divisive. We were told that we should focus on our identity in Christ first, that we should celebrate all the ways that we're more alike than we're different. Talking about race, we were told, actually causes more division. We didn't talk about race unless it was in the context of, quote, unity or, quote, Dr. King's dream or his nonviolence. We didn't expose racism because, quote, we don't have a race problem, we have a sin problem. We were told, quote, as 
long as uh, we as a church don't have a hateful posture towards people of color, we're doing just fine. Or more accurately, as long as we have a few black members and a general politeness towards them, then we are a reconciled church. Brothers and sisters, that's not right. And when things aren't right, there's a biblical practice. It's called repentance. Let's open up our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to, to get one. Go, go right now to youversion.com. You can download a free Bible app because it is important that we know what's in here. All right, so here we go. If you want an example of a template for repentance, and, and repentance that is more than just a situation where you personally have done something wrong, but it's bigger than that, I can't think of a better template for a prayer like that than this one right here. Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, verses 4 through 11. Let's start just with verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Okay, Nehemiah is the author here. Nehemiah had just received word that his people were in trouble, that their city walls were in ruins, and it wrecked him. And it wrecked him, even though he had a great job at the time. He was far removed from the situation. He could have just ignored it altogether. It wrecked him. What did he do? The Bible says he wept, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed. In other words, he lamented. But here's something, this is so important, something to remember about biblical lament. And there's a place, if you go to our homepage, download the, the note sheet, um, from, the, from the link there, you can write this down in your notes. Followers of Jesus don't lament like those who have no hope. Followers of Jesus, we don't lament like those who have no hope. Can I get an amen? All right. We've, we've read the book. We know how it ends. And, and we are invited right now to join God in the work, the same God who, who reveals in Revelation 7 that there will be a day when people from every tongue, tribe, and nation are going to be honoring and worshiping him. So let's, let's continue reading, verses 5 through 7. Okay, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eye open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. We have not kept the commandments, the statues, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Is there a biblical precedent for confessing not only your own sins, but the sins of your people? Yes. Let's continue reading. Verses 8 and 9. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful, I will scatter you, or unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the outermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. As you read the scriptures, you often find that when there's a hard word, it's followed by a promise. 
We see that over and over and over again. Let me give you an example from 1 John 1.8. It starts with a hard word. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Now that is a true statement on so many levels. Isn't it true that sin touches everything that all of us do? Is there any individual from any skin tone or any group or any corner of the globe that is without sin? No. No. And isn't it also true that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves? Because who sees our sin if we don't see it ourselves? Pretty much everybody else with eyes to see. Okay, so this is one of these hard words. We all have sinned. We're all sinners. And this hard word is followed by one of those promises. This is the very next verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. If you want more of what we have right now, go ahead and blame others. Go ahead and blame others. We'll get more of what we have now. If you want to set in motion the promises of God, let's follow the example of Nehemiah. Let's go back to our text one more time. Verses 10 and 11. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Here's what's going on in this passage. After lamenting deeply, after confessing that he and his people are deserving of the state that they find them in, this broken state, Nehemiah anchors to the promises of God. And Nehemiah doesn't stop there. Not just, he doesn't just verbally claim these promises. At great personal risk, Nehemiah says, Okay, I am a cupbearer to the king. God, let your ear be attentive to my prayers as I do my best to serve you from this position, even if it costs me everything. What does righteousness look like? When it comes to race, it looks like that. It looks like this. I invite you to pursue this with me. Imagine a community where every cupbearer was untrenched and pursuing God's righteousness. Are we going to talk about our next steps as a church? Absolutely. We'll do that in a couple weeks. Right now, I want to invite you to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you, to open your eyes where you've sinned and fallen short in this area. Imagine if each one of us, in every position where God has placed us, every home, every school, every team, every group of friends, every neighborhood, every workplace, imagine if all of us made decisions, we are not going to be entrenched, we're going to step out of there, we're going to join together at the Lord's table, and we're going to offer all that we are and all that we could be. About once a month, we commemorate a real event. 
an event where God demonstrated the lengths that he would go through to reconcile us with his Father. If you're new to church, or new to our church, when we commemorate communion, we commemorate this real event. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now there's so much that the Bible doesn't say about this sacrament. It doesn't prescribe a specific age. It doesn't prescribe a specific method. It doesn't prescribe a specific kind of bread or juice or wine. But here's what the Bible does say. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 28. Let a person examine themselves. Let a person examine themselves. It's easy to blame others for the brokenness that we see all around us. Let's lament. Let's do our best to inspire others. Let's do our best to hold people accountable. But first and foremost, let's remember that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let's set in motion the promise of God that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Not just, as important as this, not just the state that we are before God, but cleanse us. The word of sanctification, helping us to become more righteous day by day in our actions, in our behaviors, in our thoughts, in our deeds. In just a few minutes, we are going to confess some things together. Prayers that every one of us it rings true of. And so we're going to do that from in the, all over the Twin Cities and beyond, including our friends in Wisconsin, including our friends in Montana, including our friends in Florida and, and, and wherever else you are right now. But what we want to do after we do that together, let's personalize this. Let's make these prayers our own. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to come to open our hearts and our minds and to reveal where are those areas we are not yielding fully, where are those areas where we're not acting righteous, where we're not speaking up. Let's personalize those prayers. Let's confess how quick we are personally to blame others, how, how slow we are to do the hard and comfortable work of self-reflection. Let's confess our conformity with people in our trenches and we instead should be calling things out. Let's confess our selective outrage over acts of injustice and our complicity in others. Let's confess how we weaponize words. Let's confess how we exaggerate facts. Let's confess how we pass along stories that may or may not be true. Let's confess that we don't forgive as we've been forgiven. Let's confess that we are slow to listen and quick to speak rather than the other way around. And more than anything else, those of us in the majority, let's confess that we have been blind and we have been insensitive and we've been callous to the real stories and real experiences of people whose skin isn't the same color as us. Let's confess that we so often look through our own lens and don't even try 
to see through the lens of others. God invites us to join him in his good work. His standard of righteousness is the one that we can pursue. And today, I want to invite you to do more than just commit to following his way. I want to invite you to receive the spirit of Christ into your life to literally say before the God of all creation, come and fill me. I want to be a follower of you and I can't do that in my own strength. So fill me with your power, Holy Spirit. Make me born again. Give me a new mind. Give me a new heart. One that is aligned with yours. Today we're going to pray some prayers together and then we invite you to participate in this sacrament with us. So wherever you are at home, take that piece of bread or or wafer, dip it in that juice or wine. And as you do, remember, that is the body and blood of Christ shed for you. As you do this, don't worry about getting the ritual right. The most important thing is keep it real. All right, let's prepare ourselves for this moment right now. Please join me. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which you are about to receive, but say the word and we may be made clean. And Father, may we honor the name that you've given us. May more than ever before, we tru- may we truly seek you. May we truly dig into your word so that we have one voice to this world. And it's with one voice we pray this prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.